Just do that a little longer, like that, that last little... Come on, let's just keep... That's what it's all about, isn't it? Just like, <laughs> it doesn't get any better than being in His presence. In fact, the more swept up we are in His presence, the more real it is to us. It's just, it, it makes Him happier than it makes you. <laughs> as good as it is for you, it's better for Him. He loves it. He loves it. He loves it. Worship isn't something we do. It's something, you know, it's like communion. It's He's in us and we're in Him. Oh, God, we love You. Father, we love You. We find ourselves in You when we find You in ourselves. Oh, Father, thank You that You love us. Thank You that You love us. Thank You that You are love. Oh, Amen. Amen. Okay, well, I'm going to get down here so I can see you because, you know, otherwise I feel like I'm like on stage. And Hi, my name's Charles Stock and I came here from uh, Brisbane. Actually, this morning I was on Hamilton Island up in the Coral Sea. That was nice. <laughs> and uh, had lots of cockatoos and lorikeets saying good morning to me. And I was having a great time. So I'm, but I've really, I've really been looking forward to coming and meeting you. And I've heard great things about you uh, from our friends, Roland and Heidi Baker, our, our, our dear friends, and Georgian and Winnie Banoff uh, live, they moved to our city so that we could hang out, although they're hardly ever home. So, And sometimes they're home and I'm not home, you know, so I miss out. But their, ki their kids are, or their daughter, Yana, and her husband, Chris, are part of Life Center, the church that we lead, and um, their grandson, Ruel, who is just like Georgian. If you can imagine... Georgian this tall he and he loves worship he's like he he goes right up to the front and goes just and and he looks like his grandfather so it sounds scary but it's really cute you know so <laughs> it's just too much fun so anyway like all our friends come here and well, I mean, we have friends probably who don't come here, but but Cheon is our dear friend. We've been walking with Che for about twelve years, and uh, that's good. So I'm sixty-one years old, which means in thirty-nine years, only thirty-nine years, I'll be a hundred. I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait, you know. <laughs> so, and uh, 
I met Jesus almost 40 years ago, May of 1972. And uh, my wife and I were hippies. We, were, we grew up in Northern California. I grew up in the Sierra Nevadas and uh, in, near Yosemite National Park. So I grew up with skiing and in a resort. I grew up in a resort town, you know. So fortunately, my wife's family, who, my wife lived in San Francisco out um, west of the Golden Gate Bridge near Lincoln Park, like way out by China Beach, if any of you ever went to San Francisco. But she, um, her family... This was so so important for me. Her family built a second home up in my little resort town in the mountains. So when I was 14, I saw her. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I like her. So, but I, I was like Jacob, you know. It took me seven years to, to convince her <laughs> that I was the right guy. So we did all the bad hippie stuff together. Um, you know, the summer of 1967 was... was uh, not a good summer for vulnerable teenagers in Northern California. So we kind of got swept up in the whole flower child thing. We were, uh, you know, looking for God in just wrong ways. And then I, I went, I was kind of like Forrest Gump. I just showed up at all these places at weird times. I went to UC Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley. And my first year there, there were riots. every Like every couple months, there were these major riots with riot police and dogs and tear gas and some of my friends got shot and I got tear gas all that stuff but I you know when you don't know God you just keep looking you know so I looked tried all this stuff um well I, I'm just t talking away here but <laughs> so I've been uh I but it's part of it's part of just t telling you a little bit about us. Um, we've we uh, through all that, you know. When you don't know God, and I, I want to talk about this because I think Australia, you guys are on the on the verge of a huge fiery harvest across the whole continent. You're the only nation that's a continent, so you you get double. <laughs> You get double status of it. The uh, it, I was here about a year and a half ago. I, I think this is my third time. I thought it was the fourth, but I think it's my third time in Australia. And, and last time, I came with my wife Anne, and we were in Byron Bay, and God gave just poured out this massive prophetic encounter for me. And and the word was, I, I saw a vision of of God taking Australia like a, the great Southland of the Holy Spirit, you know, and like a flaming discus throwing it around the world. And, and I believe there's a fire that's breaking out in Australia that will, that will carry revival, you know, first up through Indonesia, South Asia, and across Europe and around North and South America. And that, that there's something that that God is going to do and use the Australian nation and your unique character and history to break something open that, that is part of this huge end-time harvest. So it's really, it's not just about South Australia or it's not just about Adelaide, it's, and it's not even just about Australia, but it's actually something that every nation 
is a gift from God. You know, God, you know, just like we have children, God has nations, you know. He just loves all the cultures and all the people, and there's a purpose. And I, I think there's something in the, the redemptive purpose of Australia that was demonstrated in the, uh, it, during the First World War with the, with the Australian light horsemen who, who, you know, just with this radical abandonment, like, well, there's no water, well, we're all going to die anyway, well, let's go ahead and charge. And, you know, prior to that charge, always the cavalry, they would go and then they would dismount and they would, they would advance on foot. And so the Turkish gunners were ready for that. But, you know, the Australians just got out of the box, didn't they? They just, they just you know, galloped. And they couldn't change the, the aim on the guns. And they overran the positions. And they liberated Jerusalem from the Turkish rule for the first time in centuries. So, Father, we just pray that this, this liberation spirit would arise out of a nation that was founded as a penal colony that would bring freedom even as it brought a, a liberation for Jerusalem for the first time in centuries that there would be a, a, a revival that burns that flows out of Australia and brings freedom around the world oh father you're so amazing it's just I'm so honored to be here with you I, I just feel like my, my part is to, to share with you the grace that I have and as part of your preparation for revival. Okay, so I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Then I'll go back to my story. Because I felt like, well, I'm getting... I always just dive into the deep end of the pool. So, you know, it's like... But I should... I, so, my wife and I both met Jesus in 1972. And I'll go back to that. But um, we, we got married and... Uh, then we, you know, within about three or four years, we were in the ministry, you know, which was never a goal of ours. We were just trying to follow Jesus. And I'd say I'm still trying to follow Jesus. That's my number one uh, identity. You know, I just am following this one who changed my life entirely. But through the years, we, we ended up, um, we lived on the coast in, in Santa Cruz, California. We were part of that whole Jesus movement thing with lots of signs and wonders and uh, and then came back up to my hometown where we co-pastored with a father and a son and I was the Holy Spirit I guess but the, actually I was the janitor and the children's pastor and I was whatever they didn't want to do for the first couple of years but then they they made it co-pastors so we were co-pastors for 10 years and in this little town uh this church grew from about 150 to 1,000 in 10 years, and, at the, and it was pretty phenomenal. We planted churches, and, and we pioneered worship and intercession in our area. People used to drive, you know, two and a half hours up from the San Francisco Bay Area to come to these monthly worship meetings we had. So there's something about this that is part of my story, because at, at the end of the 10 years... Um, the son needed to be the senior pastor, and you know that I always understood that, but I needed to leave for him to to do that and uh, so i didn 't want to stick around town and split the you know cause a church split just 
not out of meanness, but just, you know, people like different leaders. So, so we were praying, God, take us someplace. Just take us someplace. So we were thinking San Diego, maybe Oregon, perhaps Hawaii. And through this very weird circumstance, we received uh, some people were trying to help us survive because it was actually very painful you know like oh this is my hometown this is where my wife's family had their vacation home and all her brothers and sisters still live in this little town (laughs) they're all up there uh they all came up from san francisco and like living in the mountains so so we were like god what you know where should we go and through a weird circumstance we got this someone told us about a little place in Pennsylvania, a little group that we didn't even know, and we never even prayed about it, but nothing opened up. So this lady from Arizona who would call us all the time, she was a prophetess, and she was burdened for us. And she said, you know, have you ever prayed about that thing in Pennsylvania? I said, no. Why should I? I don't know anybody in Pennsylvania. I have no desire to go. (laughs) So she said, well, you should pray about it. I said, okay, I will. So the next day I was praying need to go someplace. Help! Please, God! Meanwhile, the largest forest fire in the history of California was burning five miles from our house. You know, it's kind of like, so I'd wake up every morning, there'd be ash coming down out of the sky. I thought, great, my whole life is like this. You know, just, it's all like going up in smoke, and at night, we would open it, we were up in the mountains, so we'd open our windows, because it was nice and cool, but about three o'clock in the morning, an inversion layer would come in, which is like someone closing the flue on a wood stove, and all this acrid smoke would come pouring into our bedroom, <laughs> so we'd have to close the windows, and then I'd, and then I was in turmoil, so I'd wake up, and I'd go out and pray in tongues for hours, and God never said anything to me until... That day after the lady called me and I, I was praying and I remembered, I told her and I said, oh yeah, God, send that church in Pennsylvania a nice pastor. That was my whole prayer. Like, and I was going to say, yeah, I prayed about it. So now I hadn't heard from God for a couple months, you know, like anything clear. And he just clear as a bell says, I am, it's you. <laughs> God! So I asked my wife, why don't you pray about this Pennsylvania thing? Because I thought I heard something from God. So she goes out, and she just says, God, I am in so much pain. I don't think, I don't trust myself. If you want us to move to Pennsylvania, let our house sell the first day it's on the market to the first person who walks in, full price, and they have cash. And when, now we had not talked about selling our house, which I had built myself, and we had only been in for four years, and we built it, and we knew the market very well. It was really cute, and And we thought, someday we'll sell this house and go to the mission field. (laughs) We didn't know the mission field was going to be Pennsylvania. So when she told me that, I thought, that's perfect because it'll never happen. And then I'm just going to, you know, go back, build houses or something and have a nice life. And so, but we had to obey the word of the Lord. So we put our house on the market and we just wanted to list it for 24 hours, but you know, that was too short. So we listed it for three weeks, private listing, no multi-list, no sign in front, because we didn't want to freak people out from the church. It was just a test. You know, like, God, is this you or not? So we have this and only listed it with one real estate office. I mean, you can really, like, narrow it down so it's hard for God to do it. And uh, so it hit the market 
and, this, and they called us. They said, we're going to bring someone by at 11 o'clock. So we went out for a walk with our kids in the woods because we were in the mountains. It was nice. And when we came back, there was an offer on our kitchen table. Full price. First guy who saw it. <laughs> First day on the market. Ten days later, we were in a, a rental truck. <laughs> with a trailer and all our stuff. And, we, and our friends, as we were pulling out, they're all standing on the side of the road. They all start weeping like, Aah! So it was terrible. Anyway, <laughs> then when we got to Pennsylvania, it was even worse, you know. So for a year, I, lay, I just would lay in the wintertime. It got really cold, and I'd just lay on this frozen field and say, God, what's my crime? Why did you bring me here? <laughs> like, I did. I'm not kidding. I felt like I was in Siberia. We didn't know one soul. We were so, oh, it was horrible. Our marriage was horrible. Everything was horrible. And then, anyway, after being there exactly one year, <laughs> this guy asked me to preach at his church. The, by the way, the little church we went to was so horrible, we shut it down. We were like, <laughs> and that was the people that had written the lady in Arizona the letter. It was like, this is just. So horrible, and they were nice people. We just, it, but it was, it was really illegal. And I thought, God, why did you, what? This is what I get, you know. <laughs> Ten years of faithful pastoring, pioneering, but God knows how to prepare us, you know. So, so after a year, this guy invited me to preach at his church, and I preached there, and and then all this wild stuff happened, and and he, he then he play, took me out to lunch the next day, played this prophecy, and said, "You're the guy." So he hired me. And then, like three months late, he hired me to be like an assistant pastor. And I thought, well, I guess since I'm here in Pennsylvania, I better do something. So, plus we were running out of money. <laughs> so, so the, uh, and then three months later, he just left the church in a very bad way. He, he left with the church secretary. You know, it was like, <laughs> so I'm walking around in this church going, God, my life is so weird. Like, this this place needs a lot of help. And I said, I'll stay here and help them out till they find a new pastor. Because I, you know, I didn't think I was... And, and then God spoke to me again and said, I've set you here. <laughs> so that was in 1988. So I'm still there. I'm, I bloomed where I was planted. And God has built this amazing creative community that has so many young people. Do you know Sean Foyt? Does Sean Foyt come around here? Yeah, Sean and Kate moved up to be with us. Randy Clark moved from, from uh, St. Louis to Harrisburg to be with us in 2001. And then, and now Randy's daughter's married to one of our young pastors. And so that's nice. <laughs> George and Winnie moved. And, uh, and so, but just, we have this very young, creative church. Our average age is 32. And since I'm 61, that's like, I'm like dad to them. You know, it's so fun. I get to watch them do it. I, by the way, we have, we have two adult daughters and uh, six grandchildren. And that's our favorite, probably my most favorite part of life is my grandchildren. It's like, they're more fun than children. So, <laughs> so it's true. And uh, so that's my story. Okay, now let's back it up a bit here. Um, I want to... Talk, you know, I, I want to talk to you about who you are and who we all are as human beings. But I'll go back to my 
little bit of my life story. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and uh, I grew up, but I, you know, you know, I was hungry. I, I had like longings, and, and I had a few sort of experiences where God was calling to my heart, even as a, a young boy. I looked, remember looking out on, on a snowy landscape, a snowstorm had cleared away, and all the trees looked like candles, and the moon was shining, and and something in my heart leapt, but I didn't know the Lord, and uh, I, I didn't know what it was. I just knew there was someone out there, and so if someone asked me if I believed in God, I'd say, yeah, but I, I didn't know who God was, and I didn't, I, I went to, I only went to church a little bit when I was a kid. I got kicked out of a Methodist Sunday school when I was five, <laughs> and told never to come back by the teacher, not by the whole church, you know, it's just like, because I... I caused some trouble in the class. And um, so, you know, so I had this sort of warped view. And, but I was hungry for something. So I, you know, first tried alcohol. Probably was a teenage alcoholic when I was 14 for real. And, uh, but then, you know, I realized that was wrecking my life. So then I cleaned up and I was an intellectual, like really seriously started reading philosophy and eastern religions and all this weird stuff you know when I was like 15 16 when I was 16 I was in Berkeley which was about two hours from where we lived in a model United Nations representing North Vietnam you know which was (laughs) perfect but during a break I was walking down this street Telegraph Avenue and there was a spiritual bookstore not a Christian bookstore spiritual bookstore and I can't, and I was looking through these books because I thought, you know, there are people who know things we don't know. So I, I came across this book. There were all these Eastern religions, and I came across this book that basically said if you took enough pure LSD, you could see God. And so I thought, really? I'm 16. I don't know anything. You know, so it's like easy to delude someone who doesn't know anything. So I thought, wow, well okay, I'm going to try to get some of this stuff. So I set out on a quest to get some pure pharmaceutical grade Swiss Sandoz Laboratory LSD, which (laughs) took me a few months. But then I had my first illegal prophetic experience standing on a mountain above our little town and seeing twirling lights in the sky. And, And I felt like I was Adam, even though I didn't know who Adam was. You know, I felt like I know everything, you know, I'm one with the universe, <laughs> and I, I was deceived. But when I came down from that, I became an LSD missionary. And so I, I wasn't a d- dealer, but I, I would buy big sheets of blotter acid, and I'd look for people that I thought were ready. At my high school, I was the high school president, so which was really bad, if only they knew, you know, but I would, I would try to figure out the kids that I thought were really ready, and then I'd give them instructions, and I'd give them free, free doses of LSD, and here's what happened, none of them followed my instructions, you know, they were all like dropping acid in the, at school, spaced out in classes, and thought, and some of them had, became violent, and dark, and demonic, and so, after a while, I analyzed it, and I thought, man, this is, this is phony stuff, this is like, this is not real. It's just, it just makes your fantasy seem real. And I don't want to go to jail for that. So I got rid of it all. <laughs> Yay, someone must have been praying for me. Actually, I found out years later who it was. There was this old lady at our high school who saw me and my friends and we were such wise guys. She said, God, they are so 
such smart alecks, I claim them for your kingdom, you know. And she started praying for me every day. I didn't know about that. So, and she didn't know all of the stuff I was doing. So then I, then I um, shut that down and, and got into kind of Eastern religions and trying to, to, you know, get good karma and do yoga and all this stuff and, and eat properly. And I went to UC Berkeley and, and for, you know, the first year or so I got involved in the revolutionary movement and peace marches and stuff. But by the grace of God, I, you know, I would get close enough to the leaders to see that there was hypocrisy there. Like I, you know, there, I'd get, I won't name them, but I got close to these yogis and swamis and, and then I would see that they were like, <laughs> they were after something. And, and I, and I would go, wow, that's not real. And then same with the revolution. I got far enough into the revolution that I saw the people that le- were leading it and they were scary. They were angry. They just, you know, they wanted to burn everything down, blow everything up, and they wanted to be in charge. And I thought, wow, I like Richard Nixon better than them. You know, <laughs> he was the president in those days. Okay, so, and um, and so I'm on. So I finally come to this conclusion that nobody could possibly find God in Berkeley because there were too many riots and too many things going on. So I go back to the mountains, and at this time, my future wife who I've been in love with for seven years, comes back from being a hippie hitchhiking in, is, in Europe and living on kibbutz in Israel. And she comes back to her parents' cabin. or it, Actually, it was a big house. had six bedrooms and four bathrooms. But it was, <laughs> it was their second home up in the mountains. And so it wasn't that fancy. It was just huge. And so she's living there, and I'm up there. And so we, we spend this winter reading this book, par- Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And we would, every night we would read it and then we would do whatever it said. It would be nice if Christians just did the same thing with the Bible, you know. But, but it, it told us to pray that God would show us a teacher and a guru. And, and so we did it and, you know, we're in, in our like om positions or what, you know. We had these certain things we would do. And and so I said, well, did you see anything? She said, yeah, I saw a picture of Jesus. And I said, oh. I said, well, I think that's just because you're an American. So I wanted to get some swami, you know, with a big beard and wavy hair and stuff. So I, we could have come to the Lord about six months earlier if I had said, wow, you know, but I didn't. So so we're we're still, you know, trying to, have salvation by diet and good karma and stuff like that. And this weird thing happens to us that we're, we were actually out. We would go to extremes to uh, drink pure water. I got this great job as a river guide uh, rowing rubber rafts down through these whitewater rapids. It was really fun. Perfect hippie job. And, uh, and I discovered this spring that had this really sweet water in it. And so we would drive like 15 miles one way, climb over hills and barbed wire fences and go through cow pastures to get to the spring and carry gallon glass jugs full of this pure water back to our car. Well, one day we did that and we and, and anyway, <laughs> it started to rain and our car had a bad electrical system and we ended up with a dead battery and out in the middle of nowhere on a place called Rawhide Road, and these 
cowboys helped us, <laughs> and they were Christians, and they were really nice to us, even though we were hippies and smelled like patchouli oil and had beads and bare feet, and, you know, they really should have not liked us, but they were Christians, so we, this was our, fr- you know, and we ended up being in this little cowboy Bible study, and, and then they helped us and told us about Jesus, and I told them about, you know, transcendental meditation and <laughs> just all this weird stuff, Maharishi, Mahesh Yogi and stuff. And they were probably discouraged, but actually they were making ground. Never, you know, never estimate the power of sharing the gospel with people, even if they don't respond at the moment. Because at the end of it, they spent $2 to charge our battery. And I said, hey, give me your address and I'll, I want to pay you back. And they laughed and said, no, we just want to bless you, you know. And I go, no, seriously, seriously, I want to pay back. And they said, well, come to church and put it in and put $2 in the offering. And so I, I shook the guy's hand and said, okay, sir. You know, he was about 60 years old, which I am now, so, you know. But to me, I was 21, and he seemed like a really old guy. <laughs> and and uh, had a big cowboy belt. And, and he, these were real cowboys, you know, who had rode horses and had manure on their boots and the whole thing, but the, uh, they were sunburned, you know, like Australia. <laughs> but the, uh, anyway, the, so uh, we're driving back to, this, to our house, and I said, we, uh, we have to go to church. And Ann said, why? And I said, because I don't want to have bad karma. I told that guy that I would put $2 in the offering, so I need to go to church so I can put two dollars in the offering. And she said, oh, okay, whatever. You know, I mean, just we were like hippies. So it was like, oh. So I worked on Sunday mornings on the river because that's when all the tourists came. But on a Sunday night, we went to this meeting at not the church. These guys were at a different church. I didn't know there was any difference. Called the Chapel in the Pines, where later I was a pastor, you know, like years later. So... So we go to the Sunday night meeting, and these Christians are talking about, it. the pastor said, tonight I think I'd like to hear testimonies of people who've had encounters with Jesus. And so three or four of these people got up and talked about like being in a time of great need and seeing Jesus. And I thought, wow. And, you know, some people like having dreams where they were, went up into heaven and they saw all these things and and, and three or four of them, and I, I just sat there with my jaw open thinking, I didn't know Christians did stuff like this. And I thought, man, I've been standing on my head and eating brown rice and, and like, fasting. We, I fa- like, we almost froze to death the winter before. We were on this 10-day brown rice fast where we didn't drink any water. We only ate brown rice with chopsticks and... <laughs> sesame salt and drank a half a cup of moo tea every day so we could be pure and enlightened and so I I just said I said wow I didn't know there were people like this in my hometown and so on the way out to our purple Volkswagen combi which we really had the the youth pastor followed us out and he told me later he was going to come and sort of like you know tell us we were sinners and we needed to repent and but when he got to our bus, he said, hey, you beautiful people. And I'm like, what? No one ever called that, said that to me. 
and they'd usually just say, you dirty hippies, get a haircut, and, you know, get a job, and all this. That was kind of the, the, the situation at that time. And he says, hey, you beautiful people, why don't you come back on a Wednesday night? There's all these young people, and a lot of them just met Jesus. They're a lot like you. And uh, we said, oh, okay, because they didn't take an offering. And so I thought, well, maybe we'll try Wednesday night. They'll have an offering. It's great when people who know nothing about church, you know, it's like, <laughs> so, so we went on Wednesday night, and we, there, were, there were about 70 or 80 young people all packed into a room worshiping. And, you know, they, they had three guitars, and people stood up and read scriptures and gave testimonies. They were very sincere. But what happened during the worship, this feeling came in to the room. And I, it was like, whoa. What's this? I'm like, ah, oh, this is nice, and I, and I, you know, and I thought, well, you know, it's good. I'm, I'm with all these Jesus freaks, but but there's some kind of natural high here. So I went back to the house, this big house, my, my wife's parents' house. There's about 20 hippies living there, and uh, by that time they had rented it out to college students, but they weren't, you know, they were just sort of semi-college students. So the uh, university students but the uh so the next week i i said come on you guys you should go to this meeting it is such a good natural high like you get high there and they go nah, yeah. none of them came but we went back and the worship started and that here came that feeling again like Ooh. and i noticed it got it if i got close to the guitar player it was thicker so i kind of like I scooted my way right over to the guitar player, and I was like, oh, oh. And then he started singing like, better than that. But, you know, he was singing things I didn't know. And I thought, these must be like ancient Hebrew mantras or something. So, so I'm, I'm like, so... We were get we so I my testimony is I spoke in tongues before I was saved, you know. So, the, uh, but we got converted by the presence of God, you know. That's what won our heart. I had been, you know, I had been debated with and witnessed to, and and uh, you know had a, a few encounters with street preachers who gave me prophetic words like, "You don't know what you're doing." Which was true, but it wasn't very nice <laughs> to say it in front of a whole group of people. But the, but man, just getting in the presence of God, and you know, I could see the the love in these people, and and I thought, well, that's nice for them, and I believe in God, but I don't believe Jesus is God, you know. So, so this went on for about after about three weeks, and they never took an offering, but <laughs> but. By, you know, after the second week, I was hooked on the feeling, you know. I mean, I'm like, I'm going, I, we have to keep going back there. In fact, it was very funny. When they were, there was a big parade coming up in, in this town of Sonora, California. Second biggest parade in California. It's called the Mother Load Roundup. It's the gold rush country. And I, we went, the, about the third week, we went to the meeting. And they said, well, we're going to practice for the parade tonight. So we're marching down the street through my hometown and they're singing like, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher, lift him up for the world to see. So all the Jesus songs, we just went, hmm, because we didn't want to be hypocrites and have bad karma. But, the, but, 
So we're going by in this Jesus parade, and up a, we go by this house. There's a, some guys I know up on the deck. They're grilling some steaks and drinking beer, and they look down and go, Hey, Charlie, what are you doing with all those Jesus freaks? And I'm like, I don't know. You know I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just here. But probably after about that third week, I... You know, it was during the week, some other stuff happened. We went to San Francisco. Some Christians gave us a newspaper and told us to read it. And I said, okay, I'll read it. So when I read it, I read about some, somebody like me who had been in riots, only they were in Seattle. I was in Berkeley, and they moved to the mountains so they could find God. I did that. They read Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa, and I had done that. They opened a little macrobiotic restaurant where they served brown rice. And we were eating that macrobiotic food. And they prayed that prayer, send us a teacher to explain the guru, which we had prayed. And a Christian started coming in, eating brown rice and reading the Bible. And they said they realized he was the teacher. And he introduced them to Jesus, the way, which is what guru means, the way. And so... I read that and I thought, man, I've been stuck up for so long. I've tried everything except Jesus. So I got down on a yoga mat. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody was home. And I just read a little sinner's prayer, word for word, because I had no idea how it worked. I just thought, if I better say all those words. Dear Heavenly Father, you know, I know I'm a sinner. And and, but then at the end, I said, Jesus, if you'll show me you're real, I'll follow you all my life. That was probably my real prayer. So I called my wife. She was, went to visit her mom in San Francisco, and she was at her mom's house. And I called her and told her what happened. She said, oh, I prayed a very similar prayer today. Here's her prayer. She said, Jesus, I don't know. You know, I've seen Christians around and... and she said, I'll try you for six months. <laughs> so that's how we got saved. But it, but it was really, it was the presence in worship that's so powerful. And I, I really believe, I mean, we don't understand how powerful it is that all across the world there's a generation of Christians that they just want to worship. They just want to worship. They just want to worship because... Our worship mingles with God. Like God is in us and we're in Him. And there's something about our worship that is the fire of His presence in the earth. That, and there's something about His worship. And there, I mean, and there's a reason. I'll get into some kind of little message here <laughs> so that you go, what did he say anyway? <laughs> but the, uh, that is so key to what God is going to do next. You know, I mean, it's in Scripture. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord shall be praised. This is God's heart. As truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with my glory. As the waters cover the sea, so the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. There's something about this, this generation that is just c- coming, that's in the earth now, and many, many, many millions are are being saved, but it's, it's into this atmosphere of adoration and worship where, where the Spirit of the Lord comes down and revelation occurs and people just like me <laughs> get, 
you know, come like all the arguments get washed away and they come to a realization there is a God and he has a son and his son's name is Jesus and Jesus became man for us and for our salvation. And so, so I pray, we, we prayed this prayer. The next Sunday night, we go to church. I still work on the river on Sunday, but at Sunday night, we go to this little church, and they're singing hymns. And normally, we would, we would just do the hum thing on Jesus, but they're singing this hymn. Says, and it was coming to this line, said, My Jesus, my Jesus. So here it goes, you know, our first time. And we sing, My Jesus. Bad, you know, just bad singing. Just, but we sang it. And when we sang it, it happened to both of us. We compared notes later. It was like, like God poured warm oil over our heads. It was the first time I ever worshipped Jesus. <laughs> so you could say I'm a worship addict because I am. I'm an, I'm an addict for his presence. Jesus. And it's really who we were meant to be. God created us in his image and likeness. Genesis 1. You know, the Father loves the Son and has loved him for all eternity. He begot him before all ages. Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Which is a great mystery. We, you know, I don't know if we'll ever understand it, only if, if the Father really reveals it to us. But, but the, the Father, who is the fountain of the Trinity, is, is so full of life and so full of love that his very thought becomes the Word. And, and he beget, you know, just the thought of the Father becomes God the Son. And so the, the Son was begotten before all ages of the Father. This is a great mystery. But, and so what exists, be, and the Son is a personality distinct from the Father because God is so alive. You know, the Nicene Creed, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. Whoa! I mean, just, you, just right there, you're like, this can totally trip you out. You know, like... And the best thing is, He's the Father. He's full of personality. He's not austere. He's not distant. He's not like Allah, you know, who's so transcendent that, we, that He doesn't have any... You know, you can't say He's loving because... You know, he can be any way he wants. No, the Father is love. And so his very, he, begot, he begot the Son before all ages. That's all I know. And so the Father and the Son have lived in this love feast for all eternity. The Father loves the Son. Son, you are so beautiful. You are so stunning. You are so perfect. You are so excellent. You are so matchless. You are so... And the Son says, Oh, Father, I honor You. All that I am is from You. You begot Me before all ages. Father, I honor You. I love You. You're perfect. You're, You're full of love. You're full of wisdom. All that You are, I am. And all that I am, You are. It's in the Bible. 
Let me read it to you in case you're thinking like, wow, this guy's tripped out. John 17.10. Okay, we'll just find it there. <laughs> John 17.10. All that I have is yours. And all that you have is mine. And isn't that good? This is the, the sound of love. You know, that love is a gift. And the Father's a giver. And, and so, He gives everything He is to the Son, and the Son gives everything He is to the Father. And the, Fa and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. There's the third member of the Trinity. You know, the Father just breathes. And out proceeds the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit carries the love back and forth between the Father and the Son. And even when He comes to us, He said, I won't speak of Myself. I'll speak of the Father and the Son. Because I'm so in love with them. <laughs> because God is love. God is love. This is such... I mean, this is the, the most profound foundation of understanding our lives. God is love. Here's my favorite Bible verse is 1 John 4, 16. And so we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. Knowing is part, you know, there's a knowing that's intellectual. Like long before I came to Australia, I knew there was an Australia. Long before I knew God, I believed there was a God, but I didn't know Him. See? But now this is talking about knowing like, you know, like I knew, I knew because after my first trip to Australia, I loved Australia and I thought, I need to learn about Australia. So I got this book called A Shorter History of Australia. It was a really long book. <laughs> I don't know why, you know, but, and so I, so I learned about Australia from the Aboriginal times to the discovery by the Portuguese to the penal colony years and then the development and the guys that used to go into the interior searching for the great inland sea or big lake, you know, and, and that, that hauled boats you know, up into the desert. And, and I, it's just amazing. And I learned about that stuff. But I'd never, but I had only been to Australia once. And so some people know the love of God, like they know about it, they've read about it, and they go, yeah, yeah, I read that in the Bible. God is love. Uh-huh. So? <laughs> they can pass the test. And then others, you know, maybe like me, I went to, came to Australia one time, and, and they really, and I, I fell in love with it, so I, I read this book about Australia. So then I knew quite a bit, and I looked on the map, and I found out where Darwin and Broome and uh, Perth and, you know, a few cities were, and got got them mixed up. Found out Vic, Victoria, where Victoria was, and and found out where Sydney was. I knew that because I flew there the first time. But just you know, stuff like that. So some people know the love of God like that, like they've been touched by it. They visited it once. But then there are people who really know the love of God, who actually live like you know Adelaide. You know, you might not know. Broom, or you might not know Darwin, or you may have never been to the Torres Strait Islands, but you know Adelaide because you live here. You know 
But, you know, you breathe the air, you drink the water, you drive the streets, you eat the food, you know the people. You really know Adelaide. And that's when John writes, he says, and so we know the love of God. Like we live there. We know, and then he says, and we believe. We know and we believe the love of God. Or we know, NIV says, we know and we rely upon the love of God. And so there's different levels of believing and trusting. Some people go, oh yeah, yeah, I believe, you know, I believe there's a country called Mongolia. <laughs> you know, and some people believe the love of God. Like, yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe God's love. But, but it's not like when you really, really believe, you totally trust and stake your life on it. You know, it's like when, when you get in an airplane, because I just flew from Hamilton Island to Brisbane and then flew from Brisbane to Adelaide. When I get in that airplane, I believe, first of all, I believe God, but I believe that that airplane can actually fly. <laughs> or else all the pilots should just definitely, I know they had industrial action, you know, but they, they'd be like, no, we will not get in that thing because it won't fly. But they believe it's going to fly, and then it does fly. And that's what it means to believe the love of God, that we believe the love of God and we actually throw ourselves into it and live in an experience of the love of God. By the way, what is the love of God? Well, here's a simple definition of love. Love is intense. Here's the definition of love. Love is intense feelings of deep affection. That's not very philosophical, like, oh, well, you know the love of God. It, it, but, you know, when you say, I love this person, it's a very real thing that you're talking about. You're talking about something tangible that you have intense feelings of deep affection. And, you know, you can say, well, yeah, I love him but you don't really love them. You know, I mean, when you're in love, it's like deep affection. Deep, deep affection. And the feelings are strong. God is love. God lives in a world of strong feelings and deep affections. And it says, 1 John 4.16, And so we know and we rely upon the love God has for us. We rely upon that he has intense feelings of deep affection for you and for me. Do you get it? I mean, it's like he's, he's not just loving like philosophy. He's in love with you and he's in love with me. And so then it says God is love. That's what he is. Whoa! He is love. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. God is in Himself kind and merciful and giving. Love is a gift. You know, love, the operating system of love works this way. How can I serve? See, I, I have strong feelings. I have deep affection. But I don't want to harm you or use you or, or you know, suck you in and manipulate you. I want to give you everything you need. The love operating system says, how can I serve? The worldly operating system says, what can I get? And this is the system that's not from the Father. That was introduced when, when Adam the human... <laughs> 
turned his back on love because we were created in the image of the Creator, the Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. Because we had been given rulership over the planet, when, we, when the human being turned his back on love, it released an inferior system that operates on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. And to make it really simple, the operating system is, what can I get? It's, it's the operating system of fear instead of love. And so, but love always says, how can I serve? So God is love. God lives in this world of purity. You know, He is pure. <laughs> and so the pure, you know, the pure see God. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the, the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Because there's a defiled heart and conscience. But so God is pure love. He's pure deep affection. He's pure uh, desiring to serve. And then it says, whoever lives in love, lives in God. So, in order to live in love, we have to move our operating system from fear to love. We, we have to, the basic, you know, the, the, when you start up your computer and it goes, and it starts up certain subscripts before you even see the, the, the screen light up or the little Apple or the little, you know, uh, Sony or whatever comes up on your computer screen, long before you even see that, there's all these subscripts that start going zoop, 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 zoop. And all these electrons are going back and forth, ones and zeros communicating. Only humans could make something like a computer. Not the smartest orangutan or blue whale could even conceive of a Model T Ford, let alone a computer, let alone a spaceship, let alone, you know, we are so different. We are not naked apes. We are unlike any other creatures. We were created to host the uncreated person of God Himself. <laughs> so, to live in love means my operating system, when it fires up in the morning, is, doesn't like start up with like, oh, let's see, what can I get today? Doesn't come into a business negotiating like, okay, 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 let's see, what can I get? Doesn't come into a relationship saying, what can I get? How can I use you? How can you serve me? Jesus said, I've come to serve, not to be served. I've come as a gift. So love starts up, how can I serve? I'm a gift. What can I do that makes the universe a better place today? What can I say? How can I make your life better. So whoever lives in love lives in God. Now, that's the best place to live. I know Adelaide is a really beautiful place. I mean, only driving even on the ugly highway from the airport to here. Because we, we didn't have time to go on the beautiful scenic route, so we just went the straight route. But even I could see beyond you know, the, the cement plants or whatever and see the trees and the hills and the eucalyptus trees in the breeze. And I said, wow, this is a beautiful place. So some people might spend their whole life thinking, I want to move to a beautiful place. But the Scripture says, whoever lives in love lives in God. And lo the, the most beautiful place we can live is in that place of 
deep affections, strong feelings toward God and toward our fellow man. It's just so beautiful. Whoever lives in love lives in God. Like, like you've moved in. Don't commute. You know, don't go like, well, I have a little timeshare condo. You know, sometimes I live in love and I'm, I'm, I'm good and nice. And then sometimes I'm just like, well, this is the way I am. You know, but just like move in and stay in love. Like, oh God, I'm so in love. And you know, we, it's easy to love God because He's invisible. That's what I think. You know, I, I mean, because you can, you and God is so loving. You love God, He loves you back. It's like, wow, this is great. But to love my neighbor as myself is way more challenging because I don't know about you. You know, sometimes your neighbors, sometimes even your own family can be very challenging to love because, you know, you just say, oh, I have such, I just love you. And they're like, what's wrong with you? You know, like, <laughs> you know, they're like, so? <laughs> Now here, and here's how God is. He loves us even when we say so. Even when we say, I don't even know if you exist. He's like, it's okay. <laughs> I love you. I love you. He loves sinners. He loves sinners. He loves us so much that he converts us, you know. He loved me when I was a smart aleck, when I was taking drugs, when I was trying to have revolution when I was, you know, I, my life was so out of order. I, I even told my parents, don't send me any money. You would not like what you're paying for. I knew it. You know, I just knew this is, this is wrong to take their money because I'm trying to burn down their world, you know. And, uh, and so, but he just kept loving, 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 loving. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So it's so simple. It's so simple. And you just move in, and there's the atmosphere. You know, there's the environment. And so every day, wherever you are, you wake up, and you're like, I'm in love. I'm in love. I just, and it's something I do, and probably everybody has a different time and a different way they do it, but virtually every day of my life, I just take some time and just renew my love with God. And, you know, people do soaking. I like to soak. People do worship. I like to worship. I, do, I just have this whole fascination with our Father. You know, so I, I'll just kind of work my way very slowly through the Lord's Prayer. You know, like, like, I'm, a, like I'm, I'm a wine taster at the best winery in the universe and so I'll just start out here. Our Father. Our. Our Father. Our. He's our Father. He's not just my Father. I'm not alone. He's our Father. He's, he's for the whole human race. There's something, this isn't about one of us making it to the goal. This is about the whole human race coming to the knowledge of His glorious name. So then... So our, and then Father. I'm just like, Father, you're really my Father. I'm, you are my Father. Now, my, my natural Father, I led to the Lord six days before He died, and He's in heaven. Hi, Dad. You know, and he's, I, he's part of the great cloud of witnesses. 
So you think, well, they're in heaven. They can't see us. Well, we're in heaven. We say that, don't we? We say, we're, in, we're seated in heavenly places. So if we're seated in heavenly places, they can see us. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We've come to Mount Zion to heaven. Anyway, I'm, I'm trying to realize that you probably need some kind of a coherent message. So I'll, I'll give it my best shot for at least like two minutes in any one direction. Then we'll change directions. But the, you know, it's just so glorious. It's so glorious. Our Father, Dad. Father, you're my father. I'm your son. I am carrying your gen- I'm carrying your genetics. My genetics are being altered by the Holy Spirit. In the new birth, I became new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That I'm actually carrying the, cre- the future of the universe. I'm carrying the age to come within my being. It's not expressed yet. Do you know there are things in your natural DNA that are not expressed? Good things. Like, like cancer is not expressed, but sometimes people go through an extremely stressful trauma and suddenly like, poof, a disease will come up. Well, that disease was in the, the genes, but as long as you're healthy, as long as you're bathed in love, as long as you're, then, then it, that never gets expressed and then a, you know, a trauma comes and it gets expressed. But by living in love, you can shut off those things that are expressed. That's why healing happens in an atmosphere of love. It's like, he's, like he, we're actually in His image. We're actually in His DNA. He's changed us. He's altered it. So I know that probably needed a much longer explanation than I just gave it, but I, 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 I want to stay on the main beam here. So, so as we, our Father... I mean, just it, this is very stunning that Jesus said to pray this way. Like, if you actually do this, you'll get it all. It's kind of like Paul wrote, whoever loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. If we actually get this way to live, that, we're, that we are a gift, that we are created in His image, and as we give our lives away in love, that, that we've fulfilled the law. And actually loving your neighbor becomes like worship. You know how good you feel in worship? You're like, oh God. That, that there is actually that exact same potential for the manifestation of His affection, which is what we're feeling. It's His glory. Just in the action and interaction that we have with fellow human beings. And with cows and dogs and frogs and logs. All creation is longing. It's waiting in eager anticipation, Romans 8.19, for the manifestation, for the unveiling of the children, the sons of God. Sons, male and female. But like this fullness of who we are, when it shines out of us, will transform the entire universe. So even this carpet, even... That's why be nice to your chickens, be nice to your car, be nice, but like be be in love with the whole universe. So we work on it with humans. So, what's your name? Jackie. Hi, Jackie. I have lots of friends named Jackie. That's interesting that I. So, see, this is the commandment. 
the first commandment is that I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is that I love my neighbor as myself. Not as much as I love myself, but as myself. So see, when the father loves the son, he loves him as himself. He says, son, I see me in you. And the, and the son goes, oh, father, I am you. And you are me. I see me in you. And they just have this great love. Like, there's a special theological term for it. It's, it's called interpenetration. Simultaneous interpenetration. The Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Father. Jesus is in us. We're in Him. The, the, the fancy word is perichoresis. Like, then, oh, okay, well, perichoresis, now we're talking. But it's like <laughs> simultaneous interpenetration. That sounds like, well, that could be strange. But it's just like, it's like when you put a sponge in water, the water's in the sponge and the sponge is in the water. And they're like, and so when we love our neighbors as ourselves, it's it's we're we're going back to the beginning. We're going back to to the the lack of alienation, and we realize that our spirits intermingle and our personalities intermingle. And I don't love you like well, you're kind of strange, but I'm trying to love you. You know, you hear all this kind of it's like religious talk. Oh, I'm I'm working on it, and sometimes it's an effort. But sometimes, so here's Jackie, and I'm loving her as myself. See, and I see like, you're human, I'm human. You're my female Australian beautiful self, you know. And, and, and I realize there's part of me and there's part of you that has the potential to, to interact in love with every other human being on the planet. And not in a weird or impure way. I mean, you know, sexual love is... is is very, very holy, and it's why the enemy has attacked it for millennia. Because only, you know, when, when Adam saw Eve, now he's Ish and she's Isha. And he says, wow, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He saw, I see me in you. Only you're more beautiful, you're more wonderful. And in that, that glory of, of the marriage bed that's honorable, that, that this great mystery occurs, that there's a oneness that's like the oneness of God and, and another human being is conceived. It's just like, wow, that's why the devil hates it and defiles it with you know, all kinds of gross stuff and pornography. Oh, round two. Okay, yes, here we are. The battery's back. So, our, this is so powerful. Just this power of God's image in us. So, we're saying, our Father in heaven. <laughs> That's, that makes me happy because I realize I am, I am also, there's part of me that's in heaven. You know, the part that's seated in heavenly places. But, so, my Father's in heaven. I'm in heaven. <laughs> I'm on earth. He's on earth. This is a good deal. And then that your name might be sanctified. That's really a better translation than hallowed be thy name. Or, but it's, it's, oh, there's three requests. That your name would be sanctified. That your reign or your rule would come to the earth. And that your will would be done on the earth just like heaven. 
So really what we're praying, we're praying the original mandate that was given to Adam in the garden to, to, molt, you know, to make earth like heaven. We're just saying, come on, God. God, I'm just praying for this. And, and we do it in this context of intimacy. And it's all intimate. Like, Father. See, until we realize He's Father. Like, but sadly, you know, we feel, you know, you have a bad day or something and you're going, oh, Father. You know, and, and we'll go through it, but it's like Father's far away. But w- when we really get it, it's like, Father. Like we come right into the living room, right into the, the, the hug of God. It's like we're saying, Father in heaven. <laughs> may your name be sanctified in all the earth. May, all, may every person in every nation know how amazing your name is. May they all know you as Father. May they all know you as the one who is, the one who saves, the one who redeems. And, and then we're just praying, may your rule, your, your righteousness, which is perfect relationships, your peace, which is nothing missing, nothing broken, and your joy be in the earth as it is in heaven. Whoa. You know, it's just, and on and on and on. We go through it all. Give, you know, give us this day our daily bread. God, just take care of us. Give us what we need for tomorrow today. <laughs> then my favorite one is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's such a joy to forgive. It's such a You know, when you forgive a debt, it means, you know, you're rich. You, you can forgive a debt because, you know what, it's forgiven. I don't need it. And that's sin, you know, sins and offenses become like debts. But Luke says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. So it's almost like the more people offend you, you know, it's like, oh, good, good, oh, good, oh, wow, that was really terrible what they did to me. And now I get to be like my dad. I get to say, you're forgiven. The debt's canceled. So, you know, we're not going to say, hey, man, you owe me. Just say, no, hey, man, you don't owe me anything. Just, it's the cancellation of debts that makes us like our Father. And on and on it goes. Okay. So, I don't want to make you too tired tonight. So, <laughs> yay. Do you feel the presence of God here? It's just so thick. Yay. Yay. So, I thought I'd do this at the beginning, but I'm, now I'm kind of at the end. <laughs> I have a book. It's called Glow in the Dark. Living in God's Creative Energy and Supernatural Joy. And some of it's my testimony. It has these hilarious stories in it. I mean, it just I, I might have been the strangest person that ever became a Christian. But I wrote it actually for seekers and uh, New Age people, because that's where I was at. But... Um, I also wrote it for Christians who are seekers. And it, it's all about what it means to be a human. It's all about carrying the light of God in our life. Here's, here's just a little paragraph. Redeemed, histories carry, redeemed humans carry the mystery of dual realities within ourselves. Based on what we see in Scripture, we are created to fly, to walk on water, 
to pass through walls, to disappear and reappear, maybe not all on the same day. We were created to rule over gravity and solid matter, to put the sun on hold, to split oceans, to stop flooding rivers, to cause rivers of water to come out of solid rock and more. Is it possible that every miracle we see in Scripture is an invitation into life as it was meant to be? I, and, of course, the answer is yes. Here, here's, what, here's a little quote further on. It says, brilliance is our native condition. We, we were created to be like God, to shine. So, so in this, there, there's actually kind of a, a, a method to develop maintaining your life in the presence of God and, and re- releasing it in flow, just being present, uh, knowing, you know, having your only boundary is love. That's your only boundary. There are no rules except love. <laughs> and love, you know, love just makes us like our Father and, and how to stay full and, and, uh, and then how to, to just live in this place where it's always joyful and restful. So we'll talk some more about that tomorrow. But anyway, brought the book and uh, it's called Glow in the Dark. And I wanted to give a copy to um, this lovely people who brought me here. You're welcome. And this is really embarrassing. I forgot your name. I, I, know, I know I'm in Adelaide. Matt? Oh, Martin. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. Martin. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. So I just, anyway, I just wanted to do that. I, and I brought, I brought some MP3s that have like 14 hours of, of messages on them, and they're all compacted they're like five separate things that would cost $90 if I brought all this stuff. But I couldn't fit it in my suitcase anyway. So, so they're like $25. And, and they're just amazing. And they're all amazing. <laughs> Change your life. But I'd, I just want to um, share this, this possibility with you. Glow in the dark. Carrying the divine energy. When, I was, when we were young Christians, we were, we were like, Less, we had only known the Lord less than six months, and we were looking for people to witness to. So we're driving in our purple Volkswagen Combi and up, and it's November, which is the beginning of winter, and it was starting to snow. And we saw this, this guy with waist-length hair with his thumb out. He just was facing the other way, and he put his thumb up, and he was really soaked. And so we turned around. We thought, well, he must be the guy. So he picked him up, and he was like almost catatonic. He barely spoke. We took him to our house, warmed him up, found out he was living with some old hippie friends of ours, Bowen and Barbara, who we hadn't seen in about a year. So we took him over to their house, and they invited us for a little dinner of brown rice and sprouts and wild morel mushrooms that they had picked in the forest, you know. So, and we're eating it with chopsticks. And before the meal, they said om, and we were like, chekapandikiti, you know. And, but this guy, Mark, is standing in the corner of the kitchen the whole time. And they, and they said, yeah, he's really crazy. He took a lot of drugs, burned out his brain. And sometimes he throws himself in the fire up at the ski lodge, like this big giant fireplace, and he'll throw himself in the fire, and he's done lots of weird things. He's tried to kill himself over and over. And I, I thought, wow, that's in the Bible. And I hadn't read the whole Bible, but I'd read, you know, all the short books. So I read Mark and, and Ephesians and, you know, First John, and the, the short books were easy. So, the, so 
we have dinner and we're telling Bowen and Barbara, hey, we became Christians. And they're going, oh, that's nice. Glad it works for you. You know, but they're not hungry. And I'm kind of feeling like, oh, dang, God, why? We wanted to have some fruit today. You know, that was in our. And so I, so I think, well, we should go. So I stand up and I say, hey, thanks for the dinner. We should go. And this guy, he's in the corner, turns around and goes, wait, don't leave. And I'm like, why? And, and he says, because you know the truth. And we're like, oh, yay. Okay, yeah, well, I do know the truth. You want to learn about the truth? And I said, Bowen, is there someplace we could talk? And he says, yeah, you go in this other room. So we went in this other room, and I tell him all about Jesus. I say, look, Buddha is not the truth. This book he had, the Urantia Revelation that came from a flying saucer, that's not the truth. And uh, Krishna is not God, and Shiva is not God, and Ma- Muhammad's in his grave, but Jesus is God, and he died for your sins, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, and he's alive, and he will save you. And so Mark got gloriously saved, and then this presence, this thick presence of the love of God came in the room, and I was praying for him to be baptized in love, and and in all this stuff. I'd never even heard it, this language used before, but it, I, it was just like this whole experience. And so two years, then Mark moved into a, a discipleship house, and after about three weeks, felt like he should move back in with his parents, and he did, and I never heard from him again, so I didn't know what happened. Two years later, we were skiing. We're, we just got off the chairlift up at the top of this mountain, and there's like 50 people standing around trying to decide which way to, to go down the mountain, and we're looking around, and this guy yells, Hey, Charlie! And, and look around, there's this little hippie guy with thick glasses and long braided hair, and he's wake, wake in his way over there, and we're going, hi. And he says, you're the one who saved my friend Mark. And all these people, like, look around, you know, and, and, and then I, I think, oh, I can preach here. So I say, no, Jesus saved him. And he goes, no, you saved my friend Mark. I want to tell you about it. So he comes over, and, and he says, I want to tell you, that Mark is in his right mind. He went back. He lived with his parents. He got a good job. He's a, a, a like a, a representative now, a rep for celestial seasoning tea, and he doesn't try to kill himself anymore and all that stuff. And I said, wow, that's great. Thanks, Bowen. And he says, and another thing. He says, I want to tell you that I was going to kick you out of my house because I... I I wanted to know what the truth was too, so I went and I was kind of peeking through the crack in the door, and I heard what you were saying, and it was really offensive to me, and I was just about ready to say, hey, you know what, I want you to leave my house, I don't like what you're saying here, and he said, but your face was glowing. He said, your face was shining in the dark room, and he was Jewish, and he said, I I remember when I was a little boy learning about Moses on the mountain. Now, what that was a manifestation of the presence of God and a a few times since then especially since the renewal there have been times when people said that you know you got real shiny and and my wife is prone to visions and once in a while a trance and she's seen me and thought I was really scary like wonderfully scary looking but but I'm not aware of it, you know, and it's not something I'm trying for. But it, and I didn't understand it for a long time until I started real, you know, reading scriptures like Jesus said, You're, you are the light. You know, 
You were formerly darkness, but now you're light. Ephesians 5.8. That there's some, there's a, a release of the glory of God in each one of us. We're the light of the world, whether we shine in the dark or whether we just are like so lovely that people are drawn to us or, or a beautiful aroma comes out of our life or, you know, there's something that God is after that he, he created in the garden. He created the human being. And he said, I'm making them in my image and likeness. We were created in the image and likeness of love. God is love. We're created, we're, you know, we are creative, we're powerful. But it, it's, it's the love that is the image and the likeness. Now, the image is always there. No matter how messed up a person is, no matter how depraved they are, the image may be, you know, really destroyed. But it, it's, it's still there in some form. We're not like any other creature. But if we live in fear, we become like brute beasts. And if we live in fear, our, our appetites become our God because the operating system of fear is what can I get? But the operating system of love is how can I serve? I'm full. I'm overflowing. What can I give you? What can I, you know, what, what can... How can I make this world better for you? How can I make your day better? I mean, you understand if, like if, if you get this love and you carry this love with you every place you go, you'll be the most, you become the most magnetic person in, in your sphere of influence. Arise and shine, your light has come. And the light is love. The light is this uncreated love that has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And when that love is flowing, miracles happen. When that love is flowing, deliverances occur. When that love is flowing, the power and the character of God is released. And so, i just finish up with one verse. Why don't you stand up? And, and then, and maybe, would you mind coming and letting the Holy Spirit flow through you in the keyboard. That'd just be so awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> Now I'm embarrassed that I f forgot Martin's name, but I'm not too embarrassed. I'm just, <laughs> I'm 61 years old, so you know, <laughs> it's like a senior moment. <laughs> Shababaki. <laughs> and a, maybe a little bit of travel fatigue, but Here's such a great verse. John 14, 20. Jesus said, In that day, you will know. And the know means like you'll experience know. You will know that I am in the Father and you are in me. Now, that's what's so wonderful. You know, we're, we're, he's in the Father and we're in him. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. But here's the mystery, and he's in us. It's the inner penetration. So there's something where I just want you to raise your hands right now. And this helps me if I close my eyes. Maybe some of you might not like to.
close your eyes, but I want you to imagine that your right hand is going right into Jesus. I'm, we're in him and he's in us. That you just plunge your hand into the hand of Jesus. Only, it's not like another person holding your hand. Like when he holds your hand, you flow into him and he flows into you. Holy Spirit, thank you for the reality of this union with Christ. That we're actually participating in the divine nature. Peter wrote about it, 2 Peter chapter 1. That by his great and precious promises, we become partakers or, par- or we participate in his divinity. So just let your right hand be in the hand of Jesus. Feel the union. Feel the, let it, let the power of his presence and the glory of his presence fill your right hand. Oh, now, since we all have two hands, (laughs) I think most of the people here do, but lift your left hand and put it in the hand of the Father. And so the Father's right hand is holding your left hand. (laughs) And your right hand is holding the left hand of Jesus. So just let your left hand penetrate and let the Father fill you and flow through you. So one hand is in the hand of Jesus. One hand is in the hand of the Father. And Jesus said, and no one can snatch you from our hand. (laughs) Talking about the Father and Himself. And now, Holy Spirit, would you just flow? And so here's what's happening. The love that the Father has for the Son is flowing right through you. The Holy Spirit is the electricity that's carrying this supernatural divine nature into and through your body. Your body is holy. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies aren't just things we're using, but our bodies are part of us. And one day we'll have a glorified body. We'll always have a body. (laughs) Yay, God. Just let it flow. The love of God. Hey, hey, hey. Now, what, here's what I'd like you to do. Oh, just let it get more and more and more and more and more. Go ahead, and if you're near someone, just let your hands that are in the Father and the Son touch. You know, you don't have, just let them touch the hand of the person next to you. And let this This is the glory of the Father that He could fill His children. This is His world. John 
wrote and said, 1 John chapter 1, we've written these things to you that you could have fellowship with us, that you could share our reality. Whoa! You could participate in the same reality we have so that our joy and your joy might be full. <laughs> and then he says, just so you know, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. We're, we're in their world. More, God, more. Just let this powerful, uncreated light and love fill your Australian bride. <laughs> so that when the lion roars, that it's a roar of great love and great authority. Let this love, <laughs> let this love blast. Let the bride, let the bride be filled with your love. This great Australian bride. Holy, holy, holy. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I like chairs. Chairs are great catchers. Shakaba. <laughs> love of God, love of God, love of God. Wow, wow. Just it's getting kind of thick in here. And there are just healings occurring while we're just getting saturated by this uncreated light. There's just God even now there's like people that came with arthritic pain in their hands and don't you don't even have to check now, but later you're gonna see that all that pain is gone because it's like this the love, the love, the love, the power, the light, the glory. Thank you, Father. More and more and more. Yes, thank you for this man. God, who's such a student of your word. He just loves your word. Oh, God, fill him. Fill him until he's glowing, 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 glowing. That just the light of the light of God is coming out of your eyes. The, the nutrition of the fruit of the Spirit is dripping from your words. Just stay plugged in. Just keep, keep your right hand in Jesus and your left hand in the Father. Just stay. Just keep, let it flow. Holy Spirit, just saturate us. Saturate us. Just blast through the rational distractions and take us into that realm of mystery, mysterion, the great mystery, those things that only can be revealed by the Spirit. Holy, 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 holy. Holy, holy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <sighs> Father, I just pray for, 
for my friends here, my new friends, that their lives, they would be so filled with love, God, that this tangible presence of your love would would rest upon them like a glory cloud in their home tonight and in their sleep that their dreams would be saturated and deep lord that there would be that there would be so much love flowing you know it's just detoxing it's detoxing your your spirit it's detoxing your body it's detoxing your thoughts <laughs> setting you free from stress and fatigue <laughs> so much freedom so much freedom so much freedom more there's joy in his presence there's just this uncreated joy it's the joyful nature of god oh all the days of the afflicted are evil but the cheerful heart has more than they can eat continually <laughs> a feast <laughs> 